I read an account recently of a chef who wanted to prove that it was not the quality of the food that counts, but it is how you present it. And so he got himself some dog food, and he served it up on silver platters, and of course he dressed it up with olives, bacon bits, and made it beautiful looking and fancy. And as the people came along and chose their little dainty finger food, uh, they were coming back for more. And it proved it's not what you serve, but it's how you serve it. The Roman Catholic Church has learned this hundreds of years ago. They built massive cathedrals to impress superstitious-minded people. Today, you have the mega church that is seeking to impress people by size and by numbers. Now, the business world would call it success through success. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and our joy to bring you the message of the gospel today. May you listen through as we come again to part two of Mormonism. We'll also have our hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I chose that hymn because I fear that with Mormons, they cannot say that. They cannot say that it is well with their soul. Their religion is a system of works. It is a religion of uh, following a system, and it promises a whole lot, but what will it deliver? We are warned in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And it goes on to talk of that uh, false, erroneous departure from the truth of the gospel. And it is the gospel that is at stake as we consider these cults. And I trust that through these uh, programs that you will listen in and begin to understand that Bible doctrine is very, very important in our need to define the gospel and to defend the gospel. Now, today we will learn something of Mormonism, how it began. Um, what about this other book called uh, Mormon? One of the marks of a cult is it has the Bible in the right hand and another source of authority in the other hand, and that's Mormonism. They put as much emphasis in the Book of Mormon, if not more, than they do upon the Bible. And we need to understand that this is a departure from sound biblical orthodoxy. Now, our burden is that we might be instrumental in leading Mormons to a true knowledge of the Lord Jesus and to understand the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And very often these people end up seeing through things, things through a, a skewed set of glasses. When a person is in a cult or in an organization where everything is slanted and uh, twisted uh, a new way, it's like putting on these glasses, it makes everything of a new color, a new hue. And uh, it's really a distraction away from the truth. 
and it is that spirit of error. And the Bible warns us that in the latter days that there will be these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so the Christian needs to be on guard, and the Christian needs to be equipped that we may serve the Lord. Now stay tuned with us today. We have now a hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and our desire is that you will seek the Lord, and it will be well with your soul. Again, thank you for joining with us here and Let the Bible Speak. And today we're looking at the Mormon religion, and we are considering a bit of a history of it and some of its departures from Orthodox Christianity. And uh, there's any number of errors here, any number of false teachings. By the way, I have a little booklet called World Religions Made Easy, an easy-to-understand pocket reference guide, and I'll be happy to send this to you. Uh, for $5 in the meal. Uh, it's a 64-page booklet that is a ready reference of various religions, and Mormonism is included. And I do want to send it to you, so uh, stay tuned. We'll give you all the details on this at the close of our program. But now we're turning to uh, the issue of Mormonism. What is Mormonism? I wonder how many people have driven by the new Mormon temple on 82nd Avenue and approximately 203 Street. And you have seen with your own eyes that uh, vast building, which because we know it is the building to promote a cult, it saddens us. Mind you, if it was right here on this location and it was with the Free Presbyterian name on it, we might be saying the Lord has done great things for us and given us a beautiful building. But to see such expenditure and to see such um, amazing growth in this religion of Mormonism is a troubling thing. This uh, new temple will be a Mecca in British Columbia. The next one in Canada is in Cardston in Alberta, and uh, I'm not sure how many in total there are 
in Canada. Now, the Mormons advance by three methods, by missions, money, and magnificence. Uh, they have or claim to have 100,000 missionaries around the world. Their finances are exceedingly strong, and so therefore they can throw money at many of their projects. And the other is magnificence. And that's why they build such temples as this out of Brazilian stone with uh, the luxury and the opulence that they do. Now this, of course, is to impress people who walk by sight and not by faith. I read an account recently of a chef who wanted to prove that it was not the quality of the food that counts, but it is how you present it. And so he got himself some dog food, and he served it up on silver platters, and of course he dressed it up with olives, bacon bits, and made it beautiful looking and fancy. And as the people came along and chose their little dainty finger food, uh, they were coming back for more. And it proved it's not what you serve, but it's how you serve it. The Roman Catholic Church has learned this hundreds of years ago. They built massive cathedrals to impress superstitious-minded people. Today, you have the mega church that is seeking to impress people by size and by numbers. Now, the business world would call it success through success. And that has its appeal, certainly, to the carnal mind. Now, the founder of Mormonism was a man called Joseph Smith, who was born in December 23 in the year 1803. His family moved to a place called Palmyra, Pennsylvania, when he was 11 years old. When he was 14 years old, his family were looking to find a new church, and they weren't sure where to go or where to turn. When this 14-year-old boy was out in the woods, he is said to have been visited, or he claimed to have been visited, by an angel which said, don't join any church because they are all apostate. Later, when he was 20 years old, a special angel called Moroni is said to have visited him and told him about golden plates of an ancient civilization and gave him the very location where these plates could be dug up. So the next day he went looking for these plates and he found the location. But for some reason it was a number of years later until he actually dug them up. He was about 24 years of age. He took these golden plates and along with them were two stones, which uh, he claimed to be the Urim and the Thummim. And in this work of translation, he used these stones to translate this weird language from the golden plates. And he was joined in this work by a man called uh, Cowdery, and he wrote down in English what 
Joseph Smith interpreted through these two special stones claimed to be Urim and Thummim, which is an allusion to what was in the Old Testament time when the high priest uh, was able to discern the will of God. And so uh, the Book of Mormon came into existence. And in that year, 1829, these men claimed that they were visited by John the Baptist and that he anointed them to the Aaronic priesthood. Later in the same year, they were visited again by Peter, James, and John, and they were anointed to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And those are the two sacred offices in Mormonism, the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. Then Joseph Smith had a number of witnesses come and examine these golden plates. Firstly, he had three witnesses and then eight. And inside every copy of a Mormon Book of Mormon, you will find in the inside cover the testimony of the three and the eight who actually saw or claimed that they also saw these golden plates. Now, the big year was 1830. That was the year when the first copy of the Book of Mormon was put out for sale in a local bookstore. It's the same year that the seventh or the uh, Latter-day Saints organized their church in Fayette, New York. And in that same year, they were incorporated, which means they became a legal entity in the United States. Now, because the Book of Mormon uh, supposedly gives the history of uh, Native Americans, or those who have migrated here at a much earlier time, Joseph Smith and his followers took an interest in missioning to Native peoples. They moved to Ohio, later to Independence, Missouri, but the Mormons didn't get along very well with the local settlers. There were many kinds of feuds, and so they had to move again until they came to the Mississippi River to a place that Joseph Smith named Nauvoo, which he claims to be a Hebrew word and meaning beautiful place. And here the Mormons established themselves for a while. Joseph Smith organized a standing army to defend his own people, and that got him into trouble. Because when a local newspaper published an article against Mormonism, he sent his standing army of men to destroy the press and to destroy the newspapers. He himself was arrested, later put into prison. And a mob, not of his own people, but a, a violent mob of other people, came along, broke into the prison, and Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were murdered. Now, in reality, those who made this awful deed began in motion a movement that claimed Joseph Smith as their martyr hero 
and it went from strength to strength. Brigham Young became the second president, and he led the Mormons all the way across the West to Utah. From wherever the railroad ended, they went in wagon carts, 400 carts, to what is now Salt Lake City, Utah. Within a year, there were 3,000 Mormons. When Brigham Young died 30 years later, 1877, there were 140,000 Mormons, mainly due to an immigration policy and funding that the Mormons provided. And people from Great Britain, Scandinavia, other parts of the world uh, flocked in to join the Mormon colony in Utah. Today, said to be nine million Mormons worldwide, half of them living in the United States. And as I said there, if not already there, they are pushing for a hundred thousand missionaries. And so we can say that this is an organization that's on the march. But with such a history, we wonder how and we wonder why. We come now to the message of Mormonism, and we want to look at just what exactly do they believe. And I don't think I'm going to be able to cover it all by any means. What do they believe about God? Well, they don't believe in the Trinity. They say that God the Father has a physical body, and that the Holy Spirit is another personage separate from deity. Uh, they, they, they seem to have a lot of different ideas about the Holy Spirit. Joseph Smith stated that God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. And the goal of every Mormon is to be a God, not just like God, but to be a God. To Mormons, our Lord Jesus is really a mere man. Brigham Young stated that Jesus Christ was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Christ's birth was the result of a physical union between God the Father and Mary. And some leading Mormons, Latter-day Saints, teachers taught that our Lord Jesus even was himself a polygamist. On the doctrine of atonement, uh, they have stated that there are some serious sins for which the cleansing blood of Christ does not operate. And the law of God is that men must have their own blood shed to atone for sins. So there are some very wild and weird things that are said. Now this is a book that I've taken out of our church library and I will recommend it to anyone. And by the way, I got the dog food story out of this uh, book right here if you want to read the full account of that one. But there's one section that gives, in a, a nutshell, the differences between these LDS Mormons and Bible Christianity. And I'm not sure, there are probably about uh, 20 different headings here. And I'm not going to go through them, but there's a few that are interesting. Uh, first one, everyone pre-existed. We all exist eternally. Weird. The fall brought mortality and physical death, not fallen nature. Adam was given two conflicting commandments and was supposed to fall. In sin, 
Sin involves specific acts, not man's basic nature. On repentance, we need only to repent of individual acts, not sinful nature. And it goes on and on and, and shows that there are terminology differences. And this is often the, the confusing thing when you deal with a cult or another religion. What you mean by one term and the meaning you pour into that term or the Bible stands for in that term, they have a separate meaning. And that can become confusing. But tonight I want to reduce our interest in the Book of Mormon. The handout that you have tonight, or I hope you have, is really a comparison sheet. And what I've done here, and I must say I like tables. When I come to a complex subject, this is a good way to study it. Uh, because my puny little mind just doesn't hold all the information as I read this and that and listen to statements and go on the internet and read articles. I can't grasp it all. And so I determined that in my reading, I was going to work on this table. In the blue column, you have supernatural inspiration. If you go down that column, uh, you will see that God takes responsibility for his own word. This Bible is not the book of man. It's God's word. Now, in the Bible, you do not expect to have plagiarism. Uh, that's becoming a bit of a problem with the Internet these days. But you don't expect that this Bible is really uh, partly copied out of some other uh, existing literary work. The Bible's a completed canon, a providentially preserved, faithfully translated. It has within it historical agreement. Its internal testimony agrees. The various authors complement one another. Prophecies are fulfilled. The whole book is centered on Christ and redemption. And within it, there's good news for sinners. So that's God's Word. That's the inspired Word of God. Now, when we look at the Book of Mormon, we begin to look for these same truths and facts. What do we discover? We discover that the golden plates, you remember Moroni, the angel, visited Joseph Smith, told him about these plates that were hidden in the ground, and that he could discover them, and he did, or he claimed to do so, and that they would be added scripture. Well, Joseph Smith reported that the plates were written in Reformed Egyptian, which was copied and later translated into English by himself with those two stones, Urim and Thummim, two stones that he discovered in the same place where he discovered the plates. And if you believe in inspiration, that's it. That's it. That's all there is. Two golden plates discovered in one location, taken out of the ground, mysterious signs and symbols called Reformed Egyptian writing, translated by Joseph Smith himself, just one person, and translated into English. That's all we've got. What about the Bible? Well, the Bible itself tells us that every word is inspired. All Scripture 
is given by inspiration. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Every word, all Scripture, and the word is theonoustos, God breathed. Thank you for listening with us here on Let the Bible Speak today in our message on Mormonism. We'll be continuing this tomorrow and through the week here. And this is a gospel issue. Please do note this, that this is about how a man is just with God, how a sinner can be reconciled to God. The gospel says that a man is reconciled through the death of the Lord Jesus by believing on that one-time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Mormonism is a religion of works. It is a religion whereby it's a process to become more like God and to become a God. Now, that again, it's, it's a heresy. It, it's absolutely false. Men, creatures, will never be gods. God is one. God is holy. God is transcendent. We are creatures, and we may, of course, be changed into something of his likeness, a matter of degree, but never taking that divine nature. And so the whole idea of how a man is saved, what it means to be saved, and what is eternal life, it is all convoluted in the Mormon system. And so this is a matter of the gospel. When you die, will you go to heaven? Have you done enough to earn eternal life? The Christian says, I am lost. I am undone through my own sin, through my empty works of rebellion against God. And all my righteousness are as filthy rags. And so I come to Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we know that there on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became man for us, offered a one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice to save men from sin by the value of his own blood. And that sacrifice has been accepted by the Father, and when he accepts the sacrifice, he accepts the Son, and by our faith in that sacrifice, we are saved. So this is a matter of justification by faith alone. And again, as Martin Luther well said, this is the standing or falling of the church. The church that denies justification by faith, neglects it or hides it, is not the church of the Lord Jesus. And so we do call you to the gospel today, to simple saving faith in the one-time substitutionary sacrifice of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the gospel. That's how a man is saved. And I hope today that you will put your complete trust in the Lord Jesus. And our prayer is that Mormons will come to understand and enter into the wonderful liberty of the gospel of justification by faith alone. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.